Well, praise God. Good morning again. What a great way to, uh, to start off our, our worship of the Lord, singing these praises, declaring the victory that Jesus has won on the cross over death, hell, the devil, sin. He is, he is triumphant. He's victorious God. And, and he is that same God in Jesus who resides in us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I just want to pause and and just mention a couple of things, and I'd like to do a couple of things before we proceed with our message. Even on this Resurrection Sunday, we are, as the church and as God's people, we are very mindful because we find ourselves in the midst of the situation that we are here globally and especially in our nation. And so uh, every day, I know I pause, and I know most of you do as well, and we take time to pray uh, for all those who are affected, which pretty much is all of us. Uh, with the, the COVID virus. And so we're just going to pray again for God's mercy and his grace and that he would just uh, move. And he is the resurrected Jesus. Nothing is impossible for him. Lord, so we come to you this morning, Jesus, our risen King. Lord, we just present to you what you already know. But God, we lay down before you our concerns, our burdens, God, for all those people, Lord, uh, including ourselves, that are affected, God, by this health situation. Lord, I pray, God, for especially our leaders everywhere, that you give them wisdom. I pray that they would look to you and they would seek you, Lord God, uh, and if they haven't already done so, Lord, that they might obtain, Lord, a knowledge and understanding of you first and then how they ought to lead and handle this situation. Lord, I pray that as we lift them up to you, that we would persist in presenting them to you, Lord, with hope, that you will grant them all that's necessary to get us through this. Lord, it is only by you and your strength as believers that we can get through it, and we acknowledge that. And Father, we pray, God, for all the medical workers. Anoint them, bless them, God. I pray for your wisdom as well and your protection especially, God, and that you would grant them, Lord, the understanding, God, to come up with remedies and solutions, God, for all that is going on. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of order and not a God of chaos. And so what is seemingly chaotic and so disturbing and unsettling in so many ways, we turn to you, the resurrected King, who is the Prince of Peace. We submit all of this into your hands and we thank you for your assistance and your help, Lord, in this time. We thank you for it. In your awesome name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I also want to remind you, um, as you've already noticed, if you've been on our website, I want to thank you again for your just generous donations and your support, and uh, to remind you that you can uh, just go online and, and give online with our uh, the, the giving link, the tab that we have there, and give online, or you can just mail your donations uh, to one of our two addresses, and uh, we just thank you and praise God for that, and uh, God is faithful. We have much to do to continue to declare how great and how good our Lord is, Amen. Well, again, happy Easter and happy Resurrection Sunday, more accurately, and Jesus is alive. And um, I read from our text this morning in Matthew chapter 28 when we started our service, and I'm not going to read it again because it's uh, repetitive, too repetitive and redundant and because of time's sake, but the text is really not just the first seven verses, but the first ten verses of Matthew chapter 28. But let me just begin that and let you know and remind you that Over 2,000 years ago, uh, about a week ago, on the calendar, most of the people of Jerusalem and her surrounding towns 
uh, highlighted the reality that all too often human expectations are not fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I have, I have had and I do have a lot of expectations. And boy, they, uh, many of them, most of them, to be truthful, have been unfulfilled and, and I've been dissatisfied. Sometimes it's because they were unrealistic. Sometimes they were just outright irrational. And sometimes, well, just didn't happen. Plain and simple. And it's okay. But we still walk away being dissatisfied and, and feeling like we're not fulfilled and something's missing. And as Jesus the Messiah entered Jerusalem, he was hailed and honored as king anxiously by the anxiously expected uh, mobs that wanted him to be a king and a ruler, to take a seat in Jerusalem and rule. That hope was all but dissolved for all these people. And the fact that Jesus had arrived on a donkey should have indicated clear enough that he was a king of peace whose strength was controlled by his gentleness. Oh, he was so powerful, but he was so gentle. Man, I want to be like that. Because if we really are strong, we'll be gentle because strength is gentleness. Uh, uh, Gentleness is strength under control. Furthermore, Jesus wasn't hanging out with the right people in order to make advances, to get on that seat in the throne in Jerusalem. In fact, his popularity sank so low that most of, um, of, uh, of Jesus' time in Jerusalem um, was mostly viewed, and you can see in the records, in the Gospels, that he was tried as a liar and a deceiver. That's how it ended up. Gone were all the cheerful and triumphant proclamations that he was the king who came in the name of the Lord, as Luke 19, 38 tells us. And instead, by Friday, because of unmet expectations in large part, Jesus was jeered and mocked and calls were made to crucify him. And so he was crucified. He died on the cross and he was buried. And in the minds of the religious leaders, the cross settled it. It was over. How could Jesus possibly be the Son of God? He didn't come down from the cross to prove that he was all-powerful. Instead, he willingly and voluntarily, of course, obeyed and submitted to God as Father and became the perfect sacrifice for all sin, for all time. And I thank God for that, as you should as well. For the disciples and those who followed Jesus, it was over. In their minds, really, it was over. Hopeful expectations of who Jesus was and who he should be, it was shattered. And now the only thing to expect is that this Jesus person, this whole Jesus movement, this whole Jesus thing is all but over. And to be sure of it, the rulers put a huge stone in front of Jesus' tomb. They sealed it and had guards protecting it from the disciples of all people who might try to steal Jesus and say that he was alive. Jesus would never be back from their perspective. 
But our reading this morning in Matthew 28 says something totally different, praise God. He says early on Sunday morning that there were two women. As soon as they got up, Mary and Mary, the two Marys, they got up and they go to check the tomb where Jesus was buried. They wanted to pay respect and place the customary spices on Jesus in the tomb. They did not expect, they did not, of all their expectations, they did not expect to see that the stone had already actually been rolled away. Not only that, but they certainly did not expect to see an angel sitting on a stone, on the stone at the tomb. Now they are really, really freaked out. Now, if I, I just I try to picture myself, you know, when you read a passage, when you read the Bible of all these characters, when you read, try to envision yourself being there. It helps you to understand and takes you in that moment of what is happening. They were human after all. I would be freaking out if I saw that. I would probably run the other way, to be honest. And they're freaking out. What do you do? And let me ask you this morning, not just in this case, but let's make it really relevant. What do you do when things don't go as you planned or expected in your life? Or when you're caught by surprises in life? Let's do a brief and simple review of what the angel said to the ladies and how his words are so relevant to us today. First of all, the angel says in Matthew's Gospel 28, don't be afraid. Now, I got I almost chuckled. This blows me away. After everything they had been through, all the hopes, and they were, they were hiding out. Really, the disciples were hiding out at this point. But the women come, bravely come to the tomb, and they do what they had to do, and what was the righteous, the religious thing to do, and that was to follow custom and embalm Jesus. They were doing the right thing. And they come, and they're going along, and then, having fear, anxiety, and already, that all the hope and trust we put in this Jesus, he's gone. But we're still going to do the right thing. And when they get to his tomb, they are blown away by what their eyes see, by what their, I don't even know what their mind is processing, but they're blown away, literally. And they're told by this angel sitting on the stone, don't be afraid, (laughs) Yeah, right. That's what I would say. Yeah, right. What are you talking about? I'm freaking out right now. I don't even know what to think. And you're telling me not. First, Jesus is, is dead. I'm already nervous. And I've, I'm wondering why, I'm even belie- why I believed when, when I tried to believe in this Jesus in the first place. And now I see this. Don't be afraid. The stone was supposed to be immovable. And that was the expectation, right? I mean, it's a rational one. Who's going to move the stone? We need help. They even talked about it. The other Gospels record that. They were wondering who would move the stone away for them to go and do this service to Jesus. Jesus' body was going to be there. That was the expectation. There was a normal thing to think. The stone screamed when they came. There's no hope. Even before they got there, there's no way. There's no hope. He's already dead. He's been there for three days. And the stone says there's no hopes. No hope. Unexpected events often lead to fear, don't they? I know they do for me. And, and anxiety and all kinds of 
And, we, and our minds freak out and things are spinning and turning and we're trying to make sense of the chaos that starts to happen when things happen that are unexpected. For example, let me give you an example. Last year, Sharon and I and my boys, we went to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And we went, I had never been there. And I enjoy basketball, but we had finally gone. And as we go, we're, we're there, we finished, we were there for about two, two and a half, about two hours, I suppose. And as we left, we exit, and it was raining. And so I told Sharon and the boys to wait. I was going to get the car. Preston actually went with me, and we went, and we looked, and we went down the aisle, and my car was not there. It was not there. So I went down the aisle, and I looked again. I said, maybe it's the wrong row or aisle that I'm in. The car, my car, my whatever. Who wants a 2008 Honda Accord? Come on. It was gone. It was gone. And I, and in those moments, and I knew where I parked it. And it was, my heart went to my feet. I didn't even know what to think. I had never had this experience. It was something so unexpected. It caught me by surprise. I never expected, never thought this would happen to me. And I thought, my car has been stolen. It's gone. I ran in and I told Sharon after Preston and I went up and down rows getting all wet. I did not see my car in the entire parking lot. And it wasn't even that full. I know I didn't miss it. Because I walked through every parking space. And by that point, even though I probably didn't really show it, I walked up to my wife in the lobby of the Basketball Hall of Fame and I said, our car is gone. It's stolen. Preston's, it's not there. There is no way it's there. We've got to call someone. We've got to tell someone. It's gone. I knew it. It shocked me. And it surprised me. Well, let me tell you the good news. There are two entrances to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And they both look identical because there's a center circular area in the air and the, the two aisles go out. They have glass doors. It looks identical with all the different memorabilia on the walls. And I had gone out, we had gone out to the wrong side. Long story short, we found our car. My car was not stolen after all. But let me tell you, in that moment, the fear, the anxiety, it was, I mean, I literally, I had never felt that way in my entire life. Because I never had that experience. I can't imagine what these ladies felt. And it, and it was fear. I was fearful. My mind was spinning and turning. And I thought, maybe I'm, look, maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I looked in the wrong road. But I looked at all the roads. Preston, didn't I look? We looked. My car was not there. What about something a little more practical and day-to-day in our lives? Or just even to make it more relevant and real in our lives? What about... The unexpected things and surprises like being in an accident, an auto accident. What about an unexpected illness? What about the unexpected situation that we find ourselves in all all around our world right now? What about suddenly being laid off or experiencing the loss of anything else or especially someone when you least expect it? See, here's the good news. God is never caught off guard or surprised. 
The Bible tells us, if you read, and I encourage you to do so, the Bible tells us throughout Scripture, the Bible is a manuscript that has been, it records God's plan, that He had a plan all along through Jesus' ministry, death, and now His resurrection. And because of that, the grave was now open, Jesus' grave was now open forever. Here's the truth. He also has a plan for you. He didn't have one just for Jesus. But through Jesus, he has a plan for you. You don't have to live in fear or one day in the future be caught off guard regarding eternity. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question of Easter. That's the question of the day. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So the angel says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus in the tomb. But then secondly, the angel says, he isn't here. There is no Jesus in this tomb. I know you expect it. But there's no Jesus. We often look for Jesus and what only he has to offer in all the wrong places. Let me just suggest, and I have to admit that even as a Christian, sometimes in my spiritual journey, I do wander off and I look in the wrong places for things that only Jesus can offer and satisfy inside of me. You know, it might be that we look to other people, oh, by the way, who often forget us after time goes by, or accomplishments, the things that we can do and achieve in our lives. And I will just say, by the way, that those are things which are forgotten by others over time. Philosophy, oh, and we can scratch our heads, and sometimes we scratch so hard we can't even think. Religion. And it's just simply doing those deeds that we know that are right. And we just do them robotically and so mechanically. And they become empty and void of life without Jesus. Religion itself doesn't satisfy. And even human nature. We look to human nature, which so many say is good and claim is good. But then we get hurt by people. How does that work? Some people look to science. And especially today, the science has become the god of our age in many ways. Listen, materialism, atheism, naturalism rule the day overall now in people's minds and in our culture. In our world, it's starting to take over. Let me just say something to be clear. I am not suggesting that these things are not unnecessary. We need people The sciences are a great tool to help us deepen our faith, believe it or not. They're all necessary. Those things are important in our lives. However, these are often things and places where you don't find anything but letdowns and dissatisfactions and emptiness inside in the end. On their own. Jesus is not found in an institution or some kind of a revolutionary idea. How quickly we forget that Jesus wants 
heartfelt relationship with us. And that if we just believe and surrender to Him, the living Jesus who rose again, we don't have to look anywhere but in our own hearts by faith in His Word, what He has done for us, and who He is. And we'll know who He is. There's a song that we often sing. And it's a prayer, actually, that we sing. And I'll try to sing a couple of phrases. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. You know the rest. Most of you know the rest. Let me just tell you. Look to him by faith and ask him to show himself to you. He will. I'm going to say it again. He will show himself to you because he's alive. He's not in the grave. He's not there. You don't look in the grave. You don't look at the places. You look to Jesus himself, the living Savior, the Redeemer of men who reconciles uh, them to God. Listen, you believe, you ask, and he will show up. This is how you do it. He will give you salvation from sin's penalty to you. And Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you declare with your mouth, now this is important, that Jesus is Lord. He is God. He's ruler. He's in control. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. It is that simple. Oh, it's hard, but yet it's very simple to do. So ask him that you might see him. Don't look and, and search in all the other places. Look at Jesus directly. Third, the angel says, go and tell his disciples. This is what he tells the ladies. After he tells them that Jesus isn't there, he says, now go and tell his disciples. Go and tell his disciples? Now, I'm not going to get into it, but you have to understand, these are two women, and to go to these disciples who've been followers of Jesus, to hear this testimony from women, and to be the first ones to witness this, their credibility would have been questioned. They would have been wondering if they could believe them. There's a whole, whole other lesson on culture and what it means for these women to go to the men and tell them, listen, Jesus is alive. They would have been like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I won't dwell on that. But you can do your own research. But God chose to reveal himself with this angel and to declare to these women first that he was alive. And he tells them, go tell his disciples of the miracle that you witnessed, that the stone was there, that the angel was sitting on it, that he said that Jesus isn't here. Don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. How are we going to explain this to the disciples the women probably wondered. They're going to think that we've lost our minds. In fact, I know that that's what happened because Luke tells us in chapter 24 and verse 11 that when they told their disciples in response to what the angel told them to do, it says their words seemed like nonsense to them. They thought they were crazy. What are you talking about, ladies? But... Luke does say that Peter rose up, he got up, and he ran to the tomb to see and to verify that what they said was true. The message was 
Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is no longer dead. He's alive. Amen? How can you be silent about such knowledge? Go and tell. You know, it was the same at Jesus' birth. And when I was reading this, my mind went back to when Jesus was born. And there are these lowly shepherds who, just like these women, were like, oh, we can't believe you. You're on the edges of society. We're not going to take your word seriously. But God comes to them with the angels and they declare, they appear, this heavenly host, and tells them that today a Savior was born for them. And go and see for yourselves. And then go and tell others. And listen, there is something powerful about that experience they had. And Jesus appears and he, and he tells them. And, he, and the first thing that the angels tell them is, don't be afraid. Go to that city and see for yourselves. And when they saw Jesus for themselves, Luke records in, in chapter 2 that they went and they spread the word everywhere. The word of Jesus' resurrection spread like wildfire through these two women who were the first to hear it from an angel. And Jesus appears then to the disciples and hundreds more. And then after his commission to, to all the disciples, and he, before he was ascended to heaven, he tells them to preach the good news. This good news that Jesus is alive, that there's a gospel, that men are sinners, but a sinless Jesus died and rose again, and he offers this free gift of salvation. And the word blasted through the Roman Empire after after the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. And the gospel message went forth with powerful effectiveness. All because two women listened to the angel, saw for themselves and believed Jesus was alive. Jesus was risen. So much so that people started to see, if you will, Jesus by believing and their lives were forever changed. So much so that Peter and John, the apostles in the book of Acts, when they were preaching the gospel and telling about how Jesus died and rose again and that salvation was found in him, they got in trouble. And when they were in trouble and being questioned and they healed a man who was was that who was disabled? And the leaders asked by what authority they did all these things, preaching and doing miracles. Peter says this, and he references the fact that Jesus is alive. It is by the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter says, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. How? Because Jesus is alive. If he wasn't alive, if he wasn't resurrected, you wouldn't see this lame man standing here before you. It's because Jesus died, but he arose that we, pre- we preach this gospel and we believe and we know that there's a future that God has for us, an eternity that he desires for us to have with him. And he continues in verse 12 in chapter 4, For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Christ is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is being proclaimed by his church everywhere today. And finally, the angel says to the women, you will see him. Listen, we already know that they saw him because when they were going to tell the disciples, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them and said the same thing the angel said. 
don't be afraid. Go and tell the disciples, and I will meet them. Twice. Twice in this text. I don't think we should omit this, and we should blow by this, not noticing. That twice in our text, the, the angel says, and Jesus himself says, that he wants to meet with people. Why? This is good news. This is amazing news. What a comforting message it is that Jesus desires relationship with you. He wants to meet with you one-on-one. What a surprise. This is a great surprise. This is unexpected, but this is a great surprise that Jesus actually meets the women. He actually meets the disciples. They obeyed the angel, and as they're going, Jesus shows up. I love surprises like this. Jesus himself tells them, don't be afraid. Have you had those experiences? Shortly after that, Luke records in, the 20, in his 24th chapter there that Jesus, after he was resurrected, he joins two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And after he discloses the meaning of the prophets and the scriptures about himself to them, he spends the evening over dinner with them And while they were eating, boom, they realized it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He was alive and he was with them because he wanted to be with them face to face and one on one. And they said after Jesus left, the Bible records their words. Didn't our hearts burn within us when we were on the road with him? They had met the one who was risen, the risen Jesus. And they told the other disciples all about it. But their hearts burned because there was a warming. There was something relational going on. It was supernatural, but it was real. They had no words for it. But they knew this was the resurrected Jesus. Because even though their mind couldn't make sense of it, their hearts were meeting with Jesus. And they knew it. Jesus then, after that, meets with his disciples behind closed doors when they're all scared and they're petrified because of their faith and their Savior that they thought would be their Savior, their Redeemer, their Ruler was gone. And he meets with them and he meets with them face to face and he gives them his peace. My peace I give to you. Listen as we close. Jesus wants to meet with people. He wants to meet with you. You might be, this morning, this Resurrection Sunday morning, you might be behind locked doors of fear, of failures, of frustrations, of sins, of letdowns, of unmet expectations and unfulfilled expectations, of uncertainties about the future. But Jesus comes today and offers all that He is and is, and will be, and has, and wants to give to you. And he wants to tell you to your heart of hearts by faith. He wants you to hear that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to go somewhere special, or somewhere different, or some kind of institution, or way of thinking, or person to find him. You can tell others about your discovery when he meets with you face to face. But he wants to meet with you. Will you meet with him today? By faith, 
call out today to him directly and ask him to resurrect you to new spiritual life from your deadness as a result of sin. And when you believe and surrender to Jesus, you can declare, you can declare with the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus Christ is alive. Amen.